0: Welcome to Season 5 of the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry-Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of Meaningful Conversations and convener of community. I continue to find so much gratitude for all the warriors willing to share their stories with us. And so whether you are or know someone who is battling multiple sclerosis, type one diabetes, scleroderma, lupus, or any of the multiple autoimmune diseases that HSCT can halt, or are simply inspired by transformational journeys, you're in the right place. As we continue to grow the HSCT warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. I'm so glad you've joined us. So welcome, Jan Marie. Thank you. Very happy to talk to you. I'm so happy that you reached out and that you have been a listener. It's always exciting to hear more journeys, and you are so fresh out of Mexico, right? Right.
1: So I've been home for five weeks and three days goodness and yeah so yeah it's been it's been really great um we went down for june 1st so we were down in monterey and we got there june 1st and we were home on the 28th of june wow and today is what yeah today is what august 5th right so yeah, yeah it's very very fresh very fresh so were you like the in the
0: for, middle of quarantine or covid yeah
1: so what they did was they stopped there HSCT for autoimmune diseases for April and May of this year Mm -hmm. Um, but they continue to do HSCT for cancer patients okay and what they found is through COVID with extra um, stringent really protocols they were able to still transplant their cancer patients without any problem so then they decided that they would yeah they decided they would reopen their HSCT to um, autoimmune patients starting June first. Wonderful. So yeah, we were we were the first group to go down, and a little bit of the guinea pigs for all the different protocols they put in place. But everybody's home safe and sound, and they just sent a second group home. So Wonderful. So they, they already, did, yeah, yeah. So every everybody's doing very well. So how did you come
0: to find? Clinical Ruiz and even HSCT as an option. So tell us more about your diagnosis and your autoimmune disease, your experience with it, and how you then came to find sure. HSCT.
1: Sure. So um, my husband and I lived in the Middle East for about 10 years. We lived in Dubai. And while I was there, um, I all of a sudden I was in Lebanon for work, and all of a sudden I had a bright flashing light in both my eyes and it was my central vision it was very strange my central vision in both eyes was gone with a bright light wow and it was almost like a it was almost like a macular degeneration in a way I only had peripheral vision I had no central vision and I went to uh, many doctors and they told me I had dry eyes Mm. so I'm a nurse practitioner I'm a nurse practitioner myself so I know that that's not right right so I was I was going to Minnesota for work. And while I was there, I found a retinal uh, specialist and I went, they, they snuck me in, they, they fit me in. And the retinal specialist said, well, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. And I said, well, that's good. He goes, yes, but you need an MRI as soon as possible. You've either had a brain tumor or you've had a stroke. Oh, so that was kind of terrible. Yeah. How did that and feel? So be- oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, really scary. And so I'm thinking, all right, so I need an MRI. And I'm Canadian, but I was in the US for work. And so I did have insurance. So I went to an emergency room and had an MRI. Um, That took a couple of hours. Was it like same day? Same day, like within... Three hours. Wow. I mean, in the in the US, if you have insurance, it's like the best place to be, right? <laughs> so so I just went in, had my MRI, and the emerge doctor came and he said, "Well, you haven't had a stroke, you don't have a brain tumor, but I think you might have MS. Mm. So the the vision issues just went away on their own. I didn't take steroids or anything. They just kind of went away on their own in six weeks. I was back in Dubai, and um, we do not have an MS clinic in Dubai. So I found a neurologist um, that said they they only you know they wanted to do um, a spinal tap. You know they wanted to do a lumbar puncture, and I was sure, like oh, to help I confirm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I got a second opinion, and he said the same thing. So sure enough, I went ahead had the lumbar puncture, and I was That's- diagnosed in. October of 2015. Okay, so shortly. How, so it was pretty quick. Yeah, sounds it pretty, like it. It was pretty quick from the time, it was pretty quick from the time that I had this vision problem to the time that I was diagnosed. It was only about two months. So I'm lucky when I listen to other people's stories that they go through many doctors and you know all of these things they go through. So frustrating. So I was very lucky. I got the diagnosis quite quickly. And, but I was, I was, I was absolutely asymptomatic and feeling very fine. So because we had no MS clinics in Dubai, I again took myself to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Mm. And my, my neurologist there was the head of neurology. And he was amazing. And I stayed for a week and I had multiple tests. And at that point I was on a Baggio, which I just did not like. I, I was getting welts in my skin and... I was very active. I was running. I was training for a half marathon at that point. And I just did not feel good on it. And when I went to Rochester, they told me, he just sat with me and he says, you know what, Jan? He says, I'm black and white. He goes, but with you, you're an enigma. And he goes, and I don't know what to do. We think looking at, you know, when you think back to things that happened in the past and you think about, remember that time when I couldn't feel my feet? Mm -hmm. And then they told And then they told me it was nothing. Well, that was probably MS. So when you think to those things, I think that was 2001. So they think I've had MS for that long and just not being diagnosed and having absolutely no issues for 15 years. Wow. So he said to me, you've had one relapse in 15 years. And if you don't want to be on medication, then by all means, go off them but if you feel like you need to be on medication, then stay on them. And what he said to me was, these drugs are so new, we do not know what the 10 year outcome is gonna be for people. We really don't know. And I kind of took that to heart and I said to him, well, I wanna go off my medication. So that's what I did. And that was 2016, I went off of Baggio, and I just lived my healthy life as healthy as I could. Um, we moved back to Canada in October of 16. And a lot of stress goes with moving and all of these things. Absolutely. And Even being week. an yeah.
0: expat in a different country, living with a different culture yeah. can be stressful.
1: Well, and I think it was harder coming home. I think that's when the stress really, really came, like coming in, we had a house here in Canada and moving back in and all the work that had to be done to the house and just trying to settle back in and the stress. And so I had a bad relapse in, I'm going to say 2016. Mm. I had a pretty bad, bad relapse, got a lot of tingling and numbness to my legs. And then I had another bad relapse in the spring of 17. And it was hard for me to find a neurologist in Canada. I was really having a tough time. And the one I did find, it would take months to get in. And when I finally got in, my relapse, you know, and I know that when you go on IV steroids, it can get you through the relapse, but the outcomes are exactly the same as whether you had them or not. So I always chose never to have the steroids. Mm -hmm. I just thought, no, I'll just, I'll just go through it. And what seemed to be happening was I never really bounced back from any of these relapses. So by the time Last year, 2019 came around. I was really struggling. I had, uh, I had, I was really having trouble walking, getting up and down the stairs. Um, I worked from home a lot at that point. So that was great. I didn't have to um, do too much because I did travel a lot with my job. So I just decided I'm taking this into my own hands and I'm going to do as much research as I can. But still, HSCT hadn't crossed my path yet. And so I was just looking, and I did go on to Copaxone. So I kind of made a deal with myself that if if I was off medications and everything was going good, that was great. But as soon as I had a relapse, I wouldn't look at medication. So Mm. I had a talk with my neurologist, and we talked about the different meds. And I chose Copaxone because of less side effects. And being a nurse, I have no problem giving myself injections. Sure. That was not an issue. So I just thought, you know what? Let's try Copaxone. And so that's the only drug I ever went on. So I went on Copaxone. And it was always a time around a stressful time. And, um, I mean, I'm gluten-free, dairy-free, no refined sugar, really trying, going to the gym. I had a personal trainer. Like, I was really trying to do everything I could mm. to stay healthy, but still having relapses. So obviously the Copaxone wasn't working. And then last year um, my husband and I were lucky enough. We went on a cruise to Hawaii, which was brilliant. Um, But I really struggled and I had a hard time physically and some days I'd be really good. And the next day I wouldn't be so good. And, and I really struggled with that and I didn't have a cane. I didn't have any walking aids at that time. And I remember sitting in the airport coming home from that cruise right before Christmas last year and I just started to cry. And I looked at my husband and I said, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I, you know, and, and I just well, yeah, felt especially hopeless.
0: When you're in that beautiful environment, we start to struggle physically and, and you're faced with that limitation. It's terrifying. Like, I, I
1: like, I'm like the Energizer Bunny. I go, go, go. And I, and I, just, I just looked at him and I go, what am I going to do? And then three weeks later, my girlfriend came out to visit from Alberta and we did a spa weekend down in Niagara Falls. So we went down and we had a very nice weekend. And she said, I have a friend that had HSCT done for MS. Have you heard of it? And I said, no. And so we sat there and I researched it while we were sitting there. I actually talked to her friend who was um, a brand new MSer. She was 34 years old. She had HSCT done in the States and she got her life back. And she's mm. doing great. She was a two years post, I think, and just doing fantastic. And so that day I emailed Clinica Ruez and I emailed Moscow at the same time. Wow. And by Thursday of that same week, so four days later. I had my appointment in, in Mexico. That's amazing. For June 1st. It was a no-brainer. I remember coming home saying to my husband, okay, I know you know nothing about this, but I'm going to give you the cold notes version on what HSCT is. Wow. And we sat and talked about it. And he looked at me and he goes, so uh, we're doing this, hey?" Eh? And I said, yep, we're doing it. And that was it. So then we started fundraising. And I raised, um, so in Canadian dollars, Cause it's 55,000 U S dollars. Mm -hmm. So in Canadian dollars, it was 79,000 Canadian dollars. Wow. And we were able, we were able to raise $55,000 for it. That is tremendous. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, we did have to, we did have to put in the rest, but so what? Like, I just thought, and I said to my husband, if we have to remortgage the house and do this ourselves, then I don't care. Like it has to be done because I cannot live with the fact that this is getting worse and worse and worse. Mm. And, you know, I just couldn't. So that was that. So what I did the six months before, knowing I had about five months before we were going, I just worked really closely with my naturopath and we worked on getting my body ready for this assault that was going to happen. I'm um, really getting a lot of my bacterial counts down, getting my candida down, anti-inflammatory work. Mm-hmm. And then, um, working on my adrenals, getting them really strong. And then when I went down, I just flew through the whole process. Mm. I didn't have, didn't have a minute of nausea, didn't have, I mean, I felt great pretty well through the whole thing. I had a couple of rough days for sure. Of course. But, uh, you know, I, I pretty well sailed through the whole thing. So it's the best thing I've ever done, to be honest.
0: Best thing I've ever done. That's Amazing. Amazing. And I feel like there's so much I want to pick apart about this. So it's fantastic that your husband was on board from the get-go. And so cool that you found a naturopath to help you prepare your body. And that you were able to raise so many dollars in just five months' time. Yeah,
1: so lucky. So lucky. And so
0: let's rewind to you're a nurse and you have general understanding of so much medically and so what was it about hsct and your research that helped convince you that i need to apply today
1: so i went back to the scientific papers Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: and the group i'm a mcmaster i don't know if you know much about mcmaster university they invented evidence-based medicine so it was drilled into my head as a student it's so critical if i don't if i Right. And if I don't see the evidence in the I don't, you've seen the JAMA article from January of this year that talked about um, remitting uh, relapsing MS and HSCT. And so, and that's what I was going for. Right. And so I thought, there it is. It's in black and white, you know, and it's, and it works. And I understand why we don't have it in Canada and the U.S. I understand that I don't agree with it, but I know why we, we don't have access to it. And I thought I'm lucky enough to have the means to be able to go. It's not fair, but if I'm going to do it, and I just believed in it from a scientific perspective. Sure. I didn't, and a lot of people, and, and you know, a lot of people are so skeptical. Like, mm-hmm. Why are you going to Mexico yeah. for something? Right. Is it, is it a scam? Is it this, is it that? And I was able to very quickly put their minds at ease because they know I know what I'm talking about right? They know, being a nurse practitioner, they know I know what I'm talking about. So I just said, no, it's it's scientifically proven. And, you know, and I said, and it's not 100%. Nothing's 100% in life. But I've got an 85% chance of, of stopping this disease, and perhaps getting better from it. So well, why um, would you not take that chance?
0: Right. You, you even know? pointed out at the beginning of our conversation, there are not research details or findings 10 years out on any medication.
1: Yeah, that always stuck in my head, you know, because that always
0: they stuck in my head. And because and more often than not, the medications just stop working, your body builds a tolerance to that medication over the course of two, three, four years, and it just stops working. And so there are some patients for whom medication does work long term. I remember when I started Copaxone, one of the friends that call you, you know, another mom with MS that calls you to say, well, I've been on Copaxone for 10 years, and it works great. Okay, your experience is very different than mine, and I am a unique individual with a unique experience with the disease, and so good for you, but ultimately the research is not out there. Like when you talk about finding an evidence base, I challenge anyone to find a 10-year study on any of the drugs that are on the market.
1: Right. And Copaxone is probably one of the oldest ones, right? They say it's been around for about 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I think the only research is that it can decrease your chance of relapse by 30%. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not even that great. Right. Right. (laughs) So I'm like, so yeah, so that always stuck with me. And when I, in March, I saw my neurologist this year, and I basically went in to tell him that I was going for HSCT. And of course I went in with a big chip on my shoulder cause I thought if he's going to give me a fight. I'm going to fight him right back. Mm. And I had, I printed out all my research articles and I, you know, I was ready for it. Good for you. And he, yeah. And he said, actually, we're having a conference call this week um, with neurologists across Canada about HSCT. I said, that's a start, right? I said, that is a start. And then I so in Canada, they do it in Ottawa and they do HSCT, which is the, um, I believe it's the beam protocol. So it's the mylabate of myelobative, right. myelobative yes. protocol. And they do that in Calgary and they do it in they do it in Ottawa. And I felt that I didn't even have time to apply. And I just felt that everything was going so wrong so quickly with my MS that I would have to move to Ottawa for two years, which I couldn't do. Yeah, I've heard that. Could have, but I've
0: heard that that's a parameter, and it just seems because it's the myeloablative and it is so severe. I don't know. Maybe,
1: and and you know, and I didn't even know if I'd be accepted or how the how it went. You know, as far as um, applying and all that stuff. So I didn't even bother. So when people ask me about that, I don't. I can't really. I can't really speak to it because I didn't even try. And then COVID hit. And so, you know, but, but they're they starting a phase three trial in Canada as of 2020. It might be on hold now because of COVID. I'm not sure. Mm. But we're not going to see results of that study for 10 years. Right. So I don't have 10 years. I don't have any time to waste. And I just thought I've got to go and get this done, you know. And so my last appointment with my neurologist, he actually spent forty five minutes with me, which is unheard of. Yeah, and for tw- for twenty of those minutes, he talked about was it ocrevus, and he and he sat there and he talked about that drug for twenty minutes. And I, I finally said, you know what? I'm not going on medication. I'm having HSCT, so you can stop. And I said, what is the ten year outcome of that medication? If I were to go on that medication, what's what's what do I need to what can I expect in 10 years down the road? Well, we don't anticipate any problems. Mm. I said, yeah, but you don't know. Right. I said, the bottom line is you don't know, you know? And so I said, I'm I'm sorry, I'm out. So I do have an appointment with him in October and we'll see. We'll see how that goes.
0: Well, it, I mean, it'll <laughs> you know? be there for you, right? On the slim chance yeah. that HSCT yeah. has yeah. not halted your progression or you relapse I mean, not that that's what we want to think about, but ultimately that is a possibility. And so.
1: Right, right. And he is. Yeah. And so he's not he wasn't closed off totally to it. But uh, yeah, definitely pushing drugs for sure. Hundred percent. Fascinating. Not uncommon. And the more I reach out, there are a lot of Canadians that have had HSCT done. In Canada. Yeah. Yeah. There's quite a
0: few in Canada. And so what was it about your research into Mexico that helped you gain the confidence to apply there?
1: I think joining the Facebook group for HSCT in Mexico. So I joined many. We have a Canadian group. There's one on just HSCT. That is, um, there's people all over the world. I think you're on that one, Mm -hmm. um, Jen, as well. And then we have one just for Mexico. So there's several groups out there on Facebook. So I just kind of went on and just kind of, I don't know what you call it, stalk them, I guess, and mm-hmm. just read. Like I didn't really post much. I just read a lot of the things. And then I think my first post was anybody in Ontario ever had this done? Uh, he's a good friend. I'd like to call him now, but he lives down in, in Niagara Falls and him and his wife went down three years ago. And so what ended up happening is my husband and I drove down there and we had coffee with him and his wife one day. Wonderful. And it was just, It's not scientific research, but when you sit there with somebody that had pretty bad MS and all of the great things that, you know, the recovery he's had out of his 12 symptoms that he could name, 11 of them are gone. He still struggles a little bit with his walking, but I mean, it's just an amazing story. And just them telling us their story, they went down to Pueblo and, um, you know, just they they had nothing bad to say about it at all. And that was it. So for me, it's not just about me. It's about me and my husband. So mm. this wasn't just, you know, it was us. It was always us doing it. And and so we both went down and talked to them. And that just that really, we'd already agreed to it. But that solidified it for us, for sure, is just sitting with somebody that had been through it. Sure. You know? Well, yeah, having yeah. that
0: personal connection. Yeah. And yeah.
1: that's part of
0: the motivation so, behind the podcast, even, right? Because... I did the research and I read the papers and I, you know, still had not doubts, but just that fear and anxiety about going to Chicago. And this was three years ago. And then once I got there, I thought, well, gee whiz, this isn't that, that terrifying. (laughs) It wasn't that bad. And I too sailed through it. I had no complications, thankfully, and had a clean diet. And so as I was laying there listening to podcasts myself just to pass the time, I thought, what if I interview people who have gone through HSCT so that we can just hear those personal stories and kind of learn more in a way, not scientific, not medical advice, but that personal connection.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and from listening to your podcast, what I realize is that, yes, we all have MS, but we're all so different Mm -hmm. everybody everybody's ms is so different from the next and so you're never going to get that person that's exactly like you that's been through it you're never going to get that and and i found out the next three that went down after me that were going to monterey i was able to connect with them and there was a lot of anxiety beforehand and what I did was I posted every day on Facebook and I got them on my Facebook page. And every day on Facebook, I just posted, you know, kind of about my day and what I went through. And, and one of the guys he's from Chicago actually. And he just came home a couple days ago and he said that reading my posts every day really helped him get through his days while Wonderful. he was down there because there was all that. And you're right. that anticipation of the unknown and, how am I going to react and is it going to be terrible and how scary is it? And, and, and it was not scary at all. It's mm-hmm. almost like once you get there, cause you have in Mexico, you have your own apartment and you settle in. And once you get there, you just kind of go, Oh, and they're so good. They're so professional. They're just, it was the best care I've ever had in my life. And mm-hmm. I've worked in hospitals all over the world. And uh, I'll tell you, it was the best care I've ever had in my life. That's so and I'm wonderful. pretty picky when it comes to stuff. Right?
0: Well, I can so, imagine, and being yeah. a nurse, like you said, you've seen you've seen it all.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was totally impressed with everything they were doing. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty great. And then I put together for them because we were the first COVID group. I put together for them kind of a a list of tips and tricks that um, the next group could use. What to pack and what to kind of expect when you get here, and what does COVID mean? when you're going through HSCT and how are they going to protect you from that? And I think that too, adds to the anxiety. Absolutely. Going for HSCT in the middle of this crazy pandemic. So, and that I think that really helped them too. And now the next group that down there, I've, I've, you know, tried to help them with those kind of things, making sure that they're going to be, you know, as comfortable and and no, you're going to have some kind of anxiety no matter what until you actually get there and get into it. And, you know, once you're in it, it, it just seems like that anxiety just melts away because you're so well looked after. Well, and you it's know? so important so, to
0: release that attempt to try to yeah. control any outcomes, right? If you can just trust the process and trust your care. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it makes it a little easier. A lot of people. It really is hard. Yeah. And I think that's such yeah. an important piece of advice, right, that you just settle in, like you said, and kind of absolve that anxiety in some way and know that you will be cared for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so what were the differences with protocol due to COVID?
1: Yeah, so generally in Mexico, um, when you go down there for the first two weeks before you're neutropenic, they'll take you out sightseeing and you can go and eat at restaurants and all of that kind of stuff. So that, of course, has all stopped. Um, They pick you up from the airport and the first thing they do is give you a mask and a face shield. And when you get to your apartment, you are basically in your apartment for 28 days. Mm. So my husband and I brought lots of games and he brought his Xbox and we, we had lots to do while we were there. Um, And then of course um, you have Netflix and all those wonderful things as well. Uh, But we left the apartment to go to the clinic to have our chemo we had our private chemo rooms with our own bathroom which was very nice um so that was only a five minute drive so when you left your apartment you would have your mask and your face shield on when you got back to your apartment they would disinfect you like you would stand there and they would spray everything they would spray my walker they would spray me and my husband before we went in and even before we got into our apartment we had pads we had to step on So one pad to clean the bottom of your shoes and the next pad to dry it before you walked into your apartment. We had a cleaning lady that came every day except Sundays, And she was the full suit, booties, face shield, mask, gloves, the whole work. Mm. Um, And she and she would come every day to clean your apartment, clean your sheet, change your sheets on your bed. I mean, she did everything. She wiped down every surface in that apartment. Um, and in Monterey, we did our own cooking. We had our own kitchen, which we preferred because of my dietary restrictions. We just thought that would be easier. Sure. And so, in non-COVID times, you, my husband, would do the grocery shopping. But during this time, they, we had a card with five hundred dollars, five hundred US dollars on it, which was plenty for the month, and they would go shopping for us. So we had to give them a list. That does, that has its own set of challenges, right? Because you know, gluten free bread, gluten free pasta, these kind of things. What do they have in the grocery stores? Like it's really hard when you're not there, but they did a very good job. And if there was anything they brought us that we didn't want or need or was wrong, they would take it back and really try to fix that. And wow. So they did a very yeah, they did a very, very good job. The food is just better in Mexico. I don't know <laughs> what it is. The fresh fruits and vegetables, I mean, it was just unbelievable. We we ate so well while we were there they they really do protect you even when you we had to go to the hospital for the first day for our covid test and our blood test we had to go to the hospital and then we had to go back there to have our lines put in Mm. and that was the only time we were at the hospital so the hospital they were even more protective like you had to make sure your face shield was on. Whereas if you went to the clinic for chemo, you didn't have to wear your face shield because they knew everybody in that building was COVID negative. They did mm. test all of their, they test all of their staff every week. So they were very sure that everyone was negative. Um, if I had blood work, they would come to the apartment to do the blood work. Um, all of the, um, the, 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 the shots, uh, all of the uh, foggastum shots that I needed they did them in the apartment. We could not congregate within our apartment block. So sure. even though there was four four of us going through the treatment, um, we were on WhatsApp and we were texting each other, but we couldn't actually, you know, sit and hang out kind of thing. So that was kind of different because usually they would all get together, you know, even have meals together, those kind of things. But we couldn't do that kind of stuff during COVID. So that was a little bit different. Um, so yeah, it was it was me and my husband in an apartment for 28 days. So, you know what? Wasn't bad. We didn't kill each other. So that's a good thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we got through it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, nobody nobody complained about the restrictions because I think everyone is has that little bit of anxiety about COVID.
0: Sure. So, yeah, safety yeah. first. So, let's rewind back to the raising all that money in such a short time. How did you pull off so many successful fundraisers?
1: So we started fundraising probably in February. So I started a GoFundMe page. I emailed everybody and their dog that I knew, right? Um, A little bit of that was some inheritance that I had coming to me from my, my father passed away about five years ago. Mm. And so that was money that that my mother had put away for me. So that was a little bit of it. Well, no, that was a big chunk of it, I guess. And um, just, donations were coming in from people that I didn't know, even donations were coming in from, it was amazing. Like it was really overwhelming. You know, a town that I grew up in, in Manitoba, their, their group, like a rotary club kind of thing. They even got together and donated $300 Mm. because my dad used to be part of part of that group 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Like it was just amazing. The people that came out of the woodwork to donate and we were going to do some big fundraisers, but of course, COVID hit. You couldn't right. do anything. So we just did it all through a GoFundMe page. That's tremendous. And yeah, we were very, very fortunate. Um, and we did it through that. Well, it can and be so guess, humbling. You know, even Like you said, with people that really, you don't even know. Oh boy, very humbling, like very overwhelming. And every day, you know, and the GoFundMe will send you a weekly kind of, or a daily update. And I'm like, holy cow, like another $1,500 came in today. And it was really overwhelming, you know, and I would make sure I tried to reach out and thank everybody personally. It was, it was very overwhelming, but um, really quite successful. And and I know that it's hard for people that are trying to fundraise that maybe don't have the network that I have. And so I'm hoping in the future to try and help people like that. That, that are be, having trouble with raising the money. Yeah. yeah, that'd be so great. It's
0: very encouraging that you heard of neurologists in Canada getting together to talk about HSCT.
1: Yeah, that, he just said they had a conference call. So we'll see. I, the next time I go to visit him, I'd really like to learn more about that. Yeah, I think they're. I think
0: our voices are being heard. I really hope you know? so, because more patients deserve access outside of a clinical trial. I agree. I think Mexico is just close for those of us in North America, right? Yeah. And lately
1: they've had a lot of people from the Netherlands. A lot of people from, you know, Europe have been there. Um, of course, we would prefer to have it done at home. But again, it's non-myeloblative. So it's even a little bit easier on you. Right. Than having a full, full myeloblative, which from what I understand, the outcomes are very, very similar, if not the same. Right. So, and so why go through you know, something more
0: harsh? Right. Right. And the only available trials in Canada and the U.S. right now are myeloablative. Right. Exactly.
1: So, uh, Clinical Ruiz will be. I mean, they they are publishing data on a regular basis. You know. So I'm waiting to hear. Um, while I was going through treatment. Um, In Mexico, I had a relapse um, while I was there and I had obviously something active going on. I woke up one morning and couldn't even lift my left leg off the floor at all. Wow. And I said, and he says, how are you? And I said, I am feeling really terrible today. And I said, this is my, this is my MS. My MS, that's how it comes out. It's my left leg. I really have a hard time. And I said, but this is worse than I've ever had it. And he goes, well, you're having, you're actually having a relapse right now, which means you're going to have a better outcome. Correct. Because you actually have an active lesion while we're going through treatment. And he said, so they're hoping to publish that death this year. That'd be so, so great. that will be, yeah, that would be very interesting about people that have, you know, had active lesions right before or during treatment and how well they do afterwards. So that was even though you're feeling terrible, it, was hope, it gives you hope, right? That, sure, okay, so yeah, I might, I might feel really bad right now, but that means better outcomes. And um, another thing too was you needed 1 million stem cells per kilogram, right? So I got almost 11 times that. Wow. So I, and it was funny because there was four of us going through it at the same, same time, so we were all placing bets on, you know, that kind of stuff. And so instead of having 65 million stem cells, I had almost 700 million stem cells going back in. And when you think about those large numbers, I think it's, you know, getting your body prepared for it and just being super healthy going into it, I think makes a big difference. You get that's how many more million stem cells you get back that are going to help you Right. To, to, to recover, to heal, to recover, to to all that kind of stuff. So that's what I keep thinking about. I keep thinking about all of these stem cells, and they're still doing their job. Yes, they are working. I'm only five weeks out. So I've got a long road ahead of me of recovery. But I've got that much more of an army behind me. That's how I kind of think about it. That's a great perspective to
0: have. And it's so important to keep that positive, optimistic mindset, just even resonating in every cell of your body.
1: Yeah. And I I really do believe in mind over matter. I think that our minds are very, very powerful and the negativity, just there is no room for negativity when you're going through something like this. It's almost like you've got to push that out and you've got to stay positive and you've got to believe that this is going to work for you. And And if you don't, I feel like those people really struggle with why am I here? What am I doing and that's why reaching out to people that have gone through it and had positive outcomes, it's really important to really help you get that mindset and help you to, to think, yep, yep, this is going to work for me. And knowing, yes, if there's always a chance that it's not, but, you know, doing everything you can to fight this beast is, is so important. So important. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: How do you build that mindset? Did you do anything in particular to stay positive and keep optimistic? Or is that just a natural part of who you are?
1: That's just me. You know, I I think it's from my grandmother. She always found the best in everything. There's always a silver lining. There's always, you know, even if you're in the worst situation, what good did come of this? And there's always something. You can always find something. So that's just me. That's just the way I'm wired. Unrealistic. Like I'm not one of these people that just runs around thinking everything's beautiful, but I'm trying to stay positive. For me, it's, it's pretty natural. I think that if people struggle with that, they need to surround themselves with people that are positive. I think that's a really good thing to do. I don't have any negative people in my life. They, they've been gone for years. I just don't, I just, I just can't have those kind of people in my life. So there were no naysayers when I was going through this. So I was I was very lucky. But I know there are people that struggle with, with people that are negative in their life and then they they internalize that. And I mm. think surround yourself with positive people, right? With encouragement and positive people that are rooting for you. That was a big thing. On my Facebook page every day, I would post and I would have a hundred people writing back really encouraging things. And that helps to build you up too. Oh, yeah. You know, if if you try to go through something by yourself it's very very hard and I really believe in put it out there put it out to the universe like everyone says about me if you want to know how Jan feels just ask her because I wear my heart on my sleeve I I really believe that if I have an issue and I ask the world for help I will get help and I really believe that if you if you put it out there there are going to be people that are going to support you and are going to really help you to get through it. And and that was my big thing in in Mexico every night, just reading my posts and reading the things that people had to say. And it was it helps. It, it fuels you. It 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 recharges your battery, you know? It really truly and does. And almost it does. And it almost you almost think, you know, boy, I can get through this. Because these people believe in me. I don't want to let them down, too, right? So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for everyone. Everyone that's rooting me on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for them, too. I don't know. But for me, yeah, it's pretty easy. That's beautiful. <laughs> easy.
0: It's kind of, yeah. It's beautiful to be surrounded by that network and community of support. For sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm brilliant that you're willing to contribute the same and give back.
1: So many people don't have the education to take their health care into their own hands. Correct. They don't know the questions to ask and they just take whatever the doctor says as gospel. I have a really hard time with that. You know, having elderly parents and elderly in laws, mm. I want to be at their doctor's appointments. Yes. Because I just don't think they're getting the right information. And it's just it's terrible two way communication. And, you know, they don't remember what the doctor said. They don't ask the right questions. I mean, it's all of that. And then if the doctor does say something, then that's it. That's the law. That's the doctor said this. So that's the way it is. And I'm like, not always true. So I really believe I am where I am because I don't, I I take my own healthcare into my own hands. So advocacy is something else I've been looking at and really help that is going to be my hobby for the rest of my life. It
0: needs to be this worldwide movement in order for more doctors to pay attention and recognize they can offer this outside of a trial, outside of these crazy requirements that you have to go move to Ottawa for two years. Like, what is that about? I mean, it's amazing that Canada pays for all of HSCT, but why isn't it even discussed as an option with more doctors around the world?
1: It just makes so much sense, doesn't it? Uh, So much. It just makes so much sense. Yes. It's just, when you go through the science behind HSCT, it just makes so much sense. And yeah, yeah, I agree. Totally 100%. I, I don't know. I do feel like in the last six months since I've started this whole journey, I do feel that more and more people are talking about it. Good. and i feel that more and more people are getting educated and i'm thinking that i feel and i have no proof but i just feel that people are getting more educated and, and and neurologists are going hey you know more and more patients are coming to me about this and i guess we should pay attention to it and we should really you know so i really I, hope that's i think true. we're going to get there yeah, I, yeah I, I me too i really think we're going to get there because in Canada, what I need to do is look at the cost. It's all about cost effectiveness mm-hmm. and the strain on the healthcare system and how to show them. I mean, I do feel like Canada has a very good healthcare system, but it's far from perfect. And where they really have trouble is is innovation. They really have trouble with anything that's new and maybe more expensive, but cost effective in the long run. And I, And I feel that If we can put a cost-effective story together to show them that if you bring a patient into the hospital for this many days or whatever,
0: right? And this many rounds of steroids and this many doses of whatever medication for X number of years until it doesn't work anymore. And then you switch medications and then that cost and, oh, yeah, more steroids and... (laughs)
1: <laughs> and that's how in Canada, this is how they they this is how they react to it is, is putting a dollar figure to it all. Mm-hmm. And if you can put a dollar figure to it, like take my case, let's take my case, let's put a dollar figure to it. The Paxone is what? Uh, $2,500 a month, right? And my, my insurance company, so we have, it, it, depending on what kind of job you have, your health care is free in Canada, but you still need extra medical insurance to cover things like dental eyeglasses um medications those kind of things so i have very good um, medical coverage with my job so my copaxone was 100 free for me but what about those people that don't have right any kind of medical coverage right their copaxone and there there are um, organizations that will help you with the payments and, and help you with Capaxone. But still, you know, that's how many thousands of dollars a year, 20, 30,000 almost a year um, for Capaxone. So, you know, that is a cost. It's a cost to somebody, whether it's an insurance company or whether it's, you know, yourself, it's still a cost. So let's take all of those costs and I, I could use myself as a case study. And now I'm drug free. You know, I don't, I don't, there's so many things like hopefully I'm, I'm learning how to walk with a cane. Now I'm going to get rid of that walker before you know it, you know, I'm not going to be in a wheelchair. This is what I believe. I'm not going to be in a wheelchair. I'm not going to be a strain on the system. I'm not going to need home care. I'm not going to need a a nursing home when I'm 60, you know, those kind of things. So I think, there's such a huge cost-effective story, and I think we have to hit them in the pocketbooks
0: as much as possible, you helping know? them recognize yeah. this is long term. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I know things are very different in Canada and the U.S. Um, the neutropenic diet. When you leave HSCT, there's two kind of worlds of thought, mm-hmm. and I, I think I think everyone agrees that nothing unpasteurized, mm-hmm. no raw fish no raw meat, no raw eggs. Um, But what we're taught when we leave Monterey is that you disinfect all your fruits and vegetables, but eat as much fresh fruit and vegetables as you can. Like don't, don't shy away from them, Mm -hmm. Um, but just disinfect them well. And in being in Canada, rarely do we have any issues. Sometimes lettuce is recalled or something, but rarely are there any issues with you know, the quality of the fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. there's there's in our house. Now there's a rule there's leftovers that have a two day lifespan in the fridge and that's it. They go in the garbage. Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that, like just really being and, and storing your food properly and just being really and cleansing all the surfaces. I mean, we're really diligent about that. And anyone I've talked to from Australia, I talked to a, a family in Australia, I talked to a family in New Zealand, in the Netherlands, in Israel, And when they left HSCT, they ate fresh fruits and vegetables as much as they could when they left. And they've all had amazing recoveries. And I know that's very anecdotal, but they have had amazing recoveries. One lady was, one guy was back at work in three weeks and jogging. So, I mean, and I said, can I ask what diet, you know? And then you talk to some of the people that have, have been told that everything needs to be cooked, so they can't have any fresh vegetable mm-hmm. or fruit for six months. And I'm like, I'm sorry, guys, but I just think you're not getting the nutrients you need. I really believe that we've got to. And, and also I think that what goes with that is that if you're so paranoid and you're cooking everything all the time, is that part of an anxiety? Is that part of, Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! I've got to be so so careful that that you can't. And you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna have a salad in six months. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. Especially right now in Ontario, it's it's strawberry season, and it's soon to become peach season. And I'm telling you, <laughs> my weight. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna eat my weight in strawberries and peaches this year. But I just think that. The the mindset of getting back to a normal life as much as possible is so important. And when you talk about that anxiety and and the fear, I think having to cook everything is kind of almost fear mongering in a way. Sure. And I don't know that's, I mean, that's my personal opinion, but I have to say the people that I've talked to that have really recovered extremely well are all eating a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables post-recovery, and really trying to get back to as much normalcy. So that's my philosophy. And four weeks post, my blood work is all normal. That's amazing. So, yeah, my blood work is 100% normal. My biggest thing was my, uh, my platelets never dropped too much, but my red blood cells went down to about nine, which for me was kind of low, which is not terrible by any means. And now they're, they're, they're back up to normal my neutrophils, my leukocytes, everything is normal. That's amazing. So,
0: Five right? weeks post. That's truly amazing. Did you have yes. any transfusions when you were in the clinic? No, no, I had no issues. That's amazing. I None. I did two platelets and I think one bag of hemoglobin. Did you?
1: You also had myeloblative, right? So Not, I think-
0: non-myeloblative. I was in oh, Chicago with Dr. Burt. Yeah.
1: No, but that's like
0: 12 rounds of chemo, right? No, it's just six. Oh, okay. Okay. And
1: we have just four in Mexico.
0: Okay. Yeah. So we have one before harvest, right? The mobilization stage of knocking down any inflammation. And then you do your, we did pigeon shots and I only harvested 8.75 million. And then we had like a 10 day break, we got to come home and we celebrated my daughter's seventh birthday and I had a fundraiser and got to see all my friends before I left again um, on September 28th of 2017. So I'm coming up on three years. Awesome. That's awesome. It is awesome. And it is a huge transformation in life. And I think I've enjoyed a smooth experience and also recovery because of diet and mindset.
1: Yeah, I really believe that's true. And as
0: you mentioned, like anecdotal, these are personal experiences, but that's the value of the podcast is to hear those experiences and then make a determination for yourself. And someday we can get the research together once more clinics begin offering
1: HSCT to more people. Right. I think that when you look at people that have cancer and they're offered chemotherapy, I think it works what, 20% of the time, if that, you know, and chemo is an option for people with cancer. But really, how often does it, does it actually work to put that cancer into remission? And I bet you the numbers are not very good. But yes, it is common. Everybody does it. They think, well, if I have a chance, I'm going to do it and I'm going to give it a try. We, with HSCT, there is such a much better outcome rate We're talking 80 to 85 percent, you know, maybe over maybe 60 percent for people with a a severe progressive case. But whatever that is, it's so much better than so many other things we put people through. Right. And I just don't you know, I just just don't get it. Why it's not first line treatment. More people deserve a chance. They do. Absolutely. And like everyone says, I just wish I knew sooner. Yes. I wish I knew. I wish I knew a year ago. But like I said, my girlfriend came. She told me about it and immediately I went for it. And I just wish that that conversation happened a year ago. But then again, maybe I wasn't ready to hear it. So sometimes maybe HSCT was mentioned a year ago and I just didn't hear it. I think you have to be ready for that. You have to be ready to accept it and ready to you know somebody could tell you about hsct but if you're feeling okay with your ms maybe it's not something that that you're going to go for i i and she said have you ever heard of this before and i go i don't remember i don't remember if i'd ever heard of it before and then she said well maybe you just weren't ready to hear it mm. and and maybe that's true maybe i just wasn't ready to, to to jump in and take that kind of kind of chance and now looking back Everyone I talk to says the only regret I have is I didn't do it sooner same, you know, yeah, yeah, so now it's the getting over the physical you know, I have a lot of atrophied muscle I need to build up. Um, one thing I did do is I found a neurophysical therapist, so she specializes in m s parkinson's those kind of things wonderful, and so she's not. Yeah. She's not just a physio. She's a neurophysio. physio and you have to look for them, but they're everywhere, but you've just got to look for them. So I, I went to several different clinics and they, they advertise, you know, we work with MS patients, but when I phoned them, they never had a neurophysio physio on staff and mm-hmm. I go, no, nope, I definitely want it on neuro And she is amazing. Like she, when you talk about MS hugs, she knows exactly what you're talking about when you talk about any kind of symptom you have with MS she absolutely understands it and knows what little exercises to give you that was going to build you up that's so wonderful to, to combat you know yeah so like like I will walk and she will tell me exactly what I'm doing and what's happening and what muscles I need to work on and she she's just brilliant so that's one thing that, you know, for your recovery, neurophysiotherapists, they don't have to break the bank either. You can go once or twice and they can give you the exercises to work on what's proper for you. Mm. Look for them in your area and you'll find them, but they are specialized in, in, in MS. And she's so young. Like, I think, oh, you're old enough to be my daughter. You know, she's so young, but uh, she is unbelievably helpful. And her specialty. So, That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Takes dedication and patience and a positive mindset, right? Persistence.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely.
0: So tell us about a superpower that you gained from your experience with HSCT.
1: I knew you were going to ask me this. So I have been thinking about it. It's my favorite I question. Pa- I, I know it's a great question. I think it's patience. And for me, I am not a patient person. I want things done now. And, you know, and so even before HSCT, not being able to do as much as I used to do, you have to rely on people to help you out. But you also have to understand that they're going to do it in their time and maybe not your time. And so patience has been something, and I'm still working on it. I'm still working on patience. And now it's about, the recovery process. And it's not instantaneous. And it's going to take time. And I've got to look at I don't look at it day to day anymore. I look at it week to week now. Am I better this week than I was last week? And the answer so far has been yes. Things are getting better as I as I go through the process. But yeah, learning patience, I think is is a very good thing, because I'm a very impatient person. And I think having patience now kind of makes me a little bit more tolerable, <laughs> I think, you know? Well, and it but, helps yeah. you, I think,
0: slow down enough to see what that universe has in store for you with recovery and regaining right. functionality. and Being kind to yourself.
1: That's something that we, we don't, I, I don't have children, but I know people that have children, Just there's so much more that they have to do for everybody else. And it's very hard to turn that kindness inwards and look after yourself. And you have to, absolutely have to find that time to be kind to yourself.
0: Mm.
1: And Jen, you sound like one of those people too that struggles with finding that time for yourself. You're a very busy woman, right? Very. So, what kind of time are you going to carve out in that day to be kind to yourself? And then, what do you, and that goes with eating really healthy that might be a half an hour of meditation it might be a bubble bath it might be zoning out and listening to your favorite song I don't know it's different for everybody but being kind to yourself and that also I believe (laughs) goes with being patient so being patient being kind to yourself the hard thing the hard thing to learn and such an important practice yeah benefits you in the long run you know Tenfold.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tenfold indeed. Thank you for those very important reminders. I've got time scheduled with a reminder on my calendar. And sometimes... Oh, that's good. mm, And most days I hear that chime and I think, okay, well, I'll get to that soon. (laughs) And inevitably I get interrupted. So thank you for the reminder. It it is important to actually honor that time and take that time for self care.
1: Exactly. And there's always an excuse. Well, I have to do this. Well, I have to do that. And for me, it's going up to bed, probably an hour before my husband does just so I can stretch and relax a little bit. And whether it's having a bath or, you know, just stretching and um, my lacrosse ball is my best friend. Mm. And we do a lot of you know, I do a lot of trigger point therapy and all of that kind of stuff and just try to loosen up and do the exercises I'm supposed to do because it's so easy just to rush around all day and then fall into bed and then lie there and go, oh man, I didn't do my exercises today or I didn't do my stretches today or I didn't, you know, and for me, that's my self-care. It's really making sure that I have time for that kind of stuff and, and not making those excuses. Well, I have to do this. I have to do that. No, you have to take that time. And everybody understands, right? Everybody around you is going to understand because you've just gone through hell and back Mm. to fight this, to fight this disease. It doesn't end here. It's not over. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Like I kept saying, you know, the treatment is over and that was hard, but the hard work really starts now. Mm -hmm. This is where the hard work, starts, you know, making sure you get the best out of your recovery. You've just invested all of this money and time and, and your body to the process. Now let's make the most of it. You know, let's, let's make sure that that's going to work for you. So important. So self-care is huge. Mindfulness is, is, yeah, very, very big. That Calm app is quite good. I don't want to put a plug in for it, but yeah, it's, it's great to remind you to just, let's take a time to out a little bit, right? And reflect, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah. Well, especially as you mentioned, just getting home and thinking about all that you've gone through, and even your experience with disease, and now the possibility yeah. that you won't have that experience anymore. It is such a transformational experience.
1: It is, and people ask me. They said, "Well, do you know if it worked yet?" <laughs> I love that. And question. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah I'm sure you got it all the time. Do you know if it worked yet? And I said, I'm not going to know probably for a year when I get that MRI to show that my my subsequent MRIs for the last couple of years have shown changes every single one. So you know that that's going to be kind of the the science that says that the disease is actually halted, but in my heart, I know it's worked. Mm. like I just I feel so different day than I did at the end of May. So tell us more about that difference. I I had a lot of pain before I went to Mexico and uh, I was taking CBD oil for the pain and I was up to about 150 milligrams a day, which is quite a bit, just to get through the day and a lot of pain. And now I have almost no pain. Like my pain is pretty well gone and uh, I have foot drop on my left side and that is even I'd say it's still 50% there, but it's 50% better than it was before. I have no heat intolerance anymore. I can be in the heat without any issues, Um, be in a hot bath. I can be outside in the heat, absolutely no issues at all. And the fact that I'm doing these exercises with my physio and my muscles are responding and getting stronger. I mean, after my diagnosis, I ran a half marathon. You know, and I'd love to be able to get back there again. I used to hate running. I used to complain all the time. Every step I took, I'd complain and we'd laugh. But, you know, I'd do anything now to run. I would, I would do anything to be able to run. So that's my goal, is next year to run at least a 10K. Wonderful. So, but I do feel that my muscles are responding because I, even though the exercises might be hard, the more I do them, the more I can do them. -hmm. And I and I just I just feel that if I tried this before HSCT, I just think my MS was so strong at that point that my muscles were just not responding, Mm -hmm. and now they are. So you know I do, and I don't have the fatigue like I did before. I just uh, you know I get that's huge. Yeah, I get tired, but I don't get sleepy. Like I don't feel like I need to to have six naps a day, like Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen anymore. And I just feel I never had brain fog necessarily from from MS. But I do feel very clear, and and very alive and very awake. Now. Mm. You know, does that make sense?
0: Total sense. uh, I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because you don't notice.
0: (laughs) Well, you don't notice how foggy things were. Like I don't I wouldn't say I had brain fog either. Although there were days occasionally where I just, I knew I couldn't be productive. Like I could still get through things, but it wasn't quickly or clearly or sharply right and now. Right. Tremendous difference. And I don't, I don't think, again, I don't think I noticed before until now it's so different. Now I notice.
1: Right. But I do, I do feel very different. And, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to put that into words, but I do feel very different than before I left and always in a bar positive way, mm. you know, I just feel so much better. And you know, I, I I know it's worked in, in my gut and in my heart. I know it's worked. That's
0: wonderful. Hold on to that and let that carry yeah. you through all your yeah. upcoming appointments.
1: Exactly. Well, and exactly. have faith That's that those, plan.
0: all those extra stem cells are doing the good work of helping build new pathways for you.
1: Yeah, I hope so.
0: So what are you grateful for about your experience with HSCT?
1: I think one of the big things is my husband and I got to spend a lot of time together. So we're, we've been married 19 years. We had our wedding anniversary while we were down there. Wow. actually. And uh, yeah. And, and we, so that was a month together, 24 seven. And then when we got home, we had to self isolate, right? We had to quarantine for 14 days once we got home. So it was six weeks. Of twenty four seven, and I don't know how many married couples can actually say that. Right. It doesn't generally happen. It doesn't generally happen, and so our marriage is stronger for that, and we're closer because of it. And we actually had a lot of fun, and it kind of, it, it that I'm really thankful for that time. It, it was really, you know, a, a crappy situation, and not, nothing that I would ever wish on anyone. But how many people have the opportunity to just spend time with their best friend for six weeks? That's probably the biggest thing I'm thankful for.
0: So beautiful. So did he handle everything
1: well? He did. And he's not medical in any way. So he often relies on me to educate him on stuff. But also I try to find things for him to read so that he can internalize it mm. and he was actually able, able to find without my knowing he found a support group that he checks in with and I and he checked in with them a lot pre HSCT and even while we were there and it was other people that were caregivers and yes. not not necessarily caregivers of MS patients some of them were but just caregivers in general and he found that very very helpful wonderful so, I th- I think because he's not medical just that really helped him. He can't go by what I say all the time, so he has to find out for himself and it was just me trying to get him that like even a book about MS when I was first diagnosed. Um, you know, getting him it was a, it was a book for caregivers and just giving that to him and letting him read it. I never read it. I don't know what it said, but mm-hmm. giving that to him and let, letting him to figure things out. He was he was just great through it all. Um, but he he did say you know there were certain times when especially on days when I wasn't feeling very good during the HSCT he'd be like hey, Jen, you got to be honest with me what's going on right now don't don't like don't sugarcoat anything for right. me he was very you know wanting to know exactly what was going on and so and 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 really allowing him to ask questions to the doctor and you know and, and just making sure he was a, he was a big part of the process like I said it was about us going through the the process not just me Mm. it was us so it was really allowing him to be a big part of of everything and he's so helpful even though like I say he has no medical background but really helpful and he's a great cook so he cooked while we were down there and very good about making sure that we had everything we needed and he's a great advocate for me like he'll know if I'm having a a day where I'm tired he'll be like okay everyone back off she needs some time leave her alone (laughs) so he's He's very good because I'm a doer. I'm a doer all the time. So he's very good about mitigating my stress and making sure that, you know, I'm not too stressed out and that I look after myself, which is important. So important. So
0: we make time for self-care and you take time for self-care and your recovery. I hope you continue to experience positive, uh, healthy diet and lifestyle and mindset and all of those carry you through continued success with recovery. Thank you so much.
1: The future is bright. That's all I can
0: say future is bright. Truly, indeed, it is. I can't wait to follow up with you even a year from now and see how that MRI goes. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. I'm so glad you had me on your podcast. Good. I appreciate all the insight you shared from your perspective as a nurse, but also just a real human being that's really in touch with what's important in life. It's awesome. been great to hear about your experience now in the middle of COVID. So it's great to yeah. be able to share that information and help people understand it is very safe and the new protocols are. Yeah,
1: yes, exactly. Super and like safe. I say, they're the experts in they're the experts in inf- infection prevention, right? Mm, right. Like that's what the hematologists do. They're the expert right. in it. So I felt I felt very safe, very very safe from that perspective.
0: Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.com where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources of the HSCT Warriors Incorporated Nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius, Billy Allett-Salzer for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud itunes stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts it's been so great to connect with warriors worldwide and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease take a moment to connect with us on instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening in the meantime we hope you'll tune in next wednesday for another episode highlighting another hsct warrior until then be a snowflake, and embrace your superpowers. Be kind, be well. John Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained in the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician.